Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Off the Glass, Nothing But Net, and Up and Under networks. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. Hello, Pelicans fans, and welcome to The Bird Calls, the official podcast of SB Nation's TheBirdRights.com. This is part five of our series breaking down potential Pelicans trade partners for Anthony Davis. In part one, we covered the Toronto Raptors and Brooklyn Nets. That was followed by the Bulls and Nuggets in part two. Part three covered the Los Angeles Lakers, and we hit up the New York Knicks in part four. If you have missed any of those, go back, check them out, uh, comment, give us feedback. We'd love to hear from you. And as, as, as it has been for each episode, I'm... I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Uh, I'm David Grubb, of course, and I am joined by Kevin Barrios, David Fisher, and Ali Cosell, our editor-in-chief. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Start, uh, Ali, how are you doing this week? I'm doing good, man. I'm relaxed tonight. <laughs> Slow day in Pelican land, Kevin. Uh, you doing all right? Yeah, I'm doing good. Uh, before we go on a little bit, I just, you know, one of our listeners commented about how they want more dog barks in the in the uh, pod. So I just want to take that opportunity to talk about um, Arno um, Animal Rescue New Orleans is trying to build a new facility. So if I, I have retweeted the information on my timeline. You can go check it out. Uh, you could donate to help them. They're a very good organization that takes in stray pets and rescues pets and then rehabilitates them and adopts them out. That's where I got my, my older dog Iverson from. Um, and it's great and they need all the help they can get. So check that out. At Kevin B for bounce. If you uh, forgot how to find him on Twitter, Dave, how are you doing? Doing great tonight. I'm really excited about this particular uh, trade partner. Yeah, this is one that we've uh, kind of been building up to for a while. It's one that I think will argue um, the parameters of the least, but there will be a lot of nuance um, in the, between the lines here. So when Anthony Davis made his trade request, initially the Clippers were not really one of those teams that was on the radar. It was pretty much, you know, Boston or Bucks because we thought that L.A. was not going to be making a deal at that time. There was no way the Pelicans were going to do that. But at the trade deadline, it was the Clippers who made some great moves, trading away Tobias Harris, um, picking up Ivaka Zubac, uh, and they put themselves in position to land not only a major free agent, and everybody thinks right now that could be Kawhi Leonard, it could also be Kevin Durant, um, 
and become a major player also in these Anthony Davis sweepstakes. And that momentum has really picked up kind of since March. More and more national folks have gotten on it with the Clippers as a destination. Ali, I know you and I, that night um, when the Clippers made those trades, we looked at each other, we were at the Pelicans game, and we said, oh, the Clippers have jumped in front. They're, they're, they're now in that top three um, upper echelon of teams that can make a deal for Davis. Why were you so excited um, at that time and just at the prospect of the Clippers getting into the race? Well, I think they present one of the most interesting and unheralded players on their roster. And when you look at the Pelicans' holes, small forward, but also at point guard, well, they could fill that point guard um, vacuum in a hurry. I'm telling you, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, every time I watch Clippers basketball, he didn't play out there like a rookie. But even more than that, it's the fact that you look at his attributes, his size, his um, patience, his wherewithal. He's, he seems to be the total package. And to play on such a big stage in the playoffs against the Warriors and really help them take two off uh, from the Warriors when they had Kevin Durant, I thought that was super impressive. And I've read nothing but positive. So for me... I think that just makes one of the best case scenarios for the Pelicans. You want to get a young star back. And I think, as we were talking before we started this podcast, that Shea is going to be a star in this league and and a two-way player. So it's not just even um, how much of an impact he can make on either side of the ball. It's how he would also fit next to Drew and Zion and what David Griffin seems to be wanting to build. So he just seems like the number one candidate. And for me, he's ahead of Jason Tatum. That's, I, I think that's high praise, but the numbers kind of back you up on that. Um, Ollie and I have both been doing some research. Let's just look at the last 10 years at some some stats, and you see some very interesting names that Shai uh, Gilgis Alexander is keeping company with. So this season, he had um, an, a player efficiency rating of uh, 13.4. He had a true shooting percentage of uh, 0.554, and his uh, win shares for 48. his value over replacement player uh, 0.9 and his win shares 3.3 in the last 10 years the only other players to reach those numbers at the guard position Eric Gordon Rudy Fernandez Marcus Thornton James Harden Steph Curry Kyrie Irving Isaiah Thomas Patrick Beverly Malcolm Brogdon Ben Simmons and Shy Gilgis Alexander, Dave. When you when you see that kind of company for a guy like that, does do you think that that can excite Pelicans fans? You no, know, if he's the centerpiece of a Clippers uh, trade, I hope so. <laughs> um, I think. <laughs> are, you, are you saying we're getting the next Marcus Marcus Thornton? I'm all in. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I was waiting for somebody I mean, to say that. <laughs> so. Yeah, some of the old New Orleans Hornets fans will remember um, him, Thornton. But he was an all rookie second team. Yeah, I mean, when you're looking at SGA, to me, the biggest thing is that defensive versatility. He is built to play in today's NBA. He can initiate your offense and run your point guard, but he's not necessarily a guy that needs to pound the ball into the ground which is a good kind of point guard that I think you need to have beside Drew Holiday. And the biggest thing, and Holly touched on it a little bit, I mean, you're talking about a guy who's six foot six, a wingspan, like a half inch under seven feet, like six, 11 and a half. Mm-hmm. 
He's he's ready to play in today's NBA right now. He's ready to play in that league where almost everybody on the court is at six six to six foot eight, six foot nine. We call it small ball, but while the big men have gotten smaller, the guards have gotten bigger. And so you need somebody who can switch around to wings and don't just crumble under the weight of guarding a bigger man. The other thing I was digging into SGA stats, um, he shot 37% on catch and shoot threes this season. Now that was almost all of the three point shots. I want to say he shot five for 22. So under 25% off of the dribble. So that's not something that's in his toolkit. You can't say, Oh, you can run pick and pops and he's going to pull up off the dribble. That's really, that's not in his toolkit, but an Alvin Gentry off them and, you know, going, going forward beyond Alvin Gentry, if you think, you know, he's not going to be the coach for a long time, you don't necessarily need to build your offense around. You need to have a point guard like Steph Curry. What you need is somebody who, after he's passed the ball off and moved off the ball, when he's standing in the corner or on the wing, he actually needs to command respect. You shoot 30, 37% on catch and shoot. You're going to command some respect <laughs> at minimum depending on how quick you can get the shot off your willingness to shoot when defended will depend on how much attention you're going to grab. So I I think SGA is absolutely somebody who could be a star. I worry that the star doesn't shine bright enough for the casual Pelican fan. And again, yesterday when we talked about the Knicks, one of the things we talked about were some shooting fundamentals and seeing if players were, you know, had the the type of stroke that that could be developed. And like you said, he shot 37% for the season on three-pointers for all his threes combined. And then he also shot nearly 48% from the floor overall. And he made 80% of his free throws. So that just, that indicates that the stroke is good. And he just needs to continue to mature and he will be a better offensive player. And then on top of that, I think one of the big things that makes him so attractive is at that 6'6 size. The Pelicans have not had a point guard who could finish at the rim. Uh, Tim Frazier certainly couldn't do it. Uh, Rajon Rondo um, was advert- averse to it. Uh, and Alfred Payton struggled with it last season. But at six foot six, and like you said, having that wingspan, he's already 181 pounds. If he can get up, gain- as he you know grows older, he'll probably get closer to 200 pounds. Um, he's going to be able to finish at the rim. He will become a better rebounder. He only rebounded... Uh, three rebounds a game this season. But again, the Pelicans type of offense, the way that they play, guards have been able to grab rebounds in that in that system. And I think, again, he's suited for that, which makes it really exciting. Um, I think he is a solution at the point guard position for almost a decade. Uh, Kevin, you have any thoughts on SGA before we go on to other parts of, of the Clippers potential package? I mean, I think you guys covered that, but if you, if you want, like I can kick off a little, with my trade and explain why I think this is, this is my favorite trade. Sure. Uh, okay. So I think we all have basically the same trade little variation here or there. Mine is, you know, yesterday we talked about the importance of Trajan Langdon coming over and how he talked about the importance of building a culture from the ground up. Um, and I think without, you know, without doing a trade with Brooklyn where he already had those guys with the culture built that he's going to bring those guys over here to infuse it, there's no better way to get that started than with this trade. Because you look at 
Um, what I have here is, of course, uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander. I have Montrez Harrell, Danilo Gallinari, Landry Shamit, uh, first round pick in 2020 from Philadelphia, first round pick in 2021 from Miami, straight up for Anthony Davis. Now, you want to talk about culture and hard work, which you already already said about uh, Shade SGA. Didn't think about what kind of player Montrez Harrell is. Constant motor, screen setter, does all the dirty work, rebounds, defends, plays super hard. Danilo Gallinari is also an extremely good defender. Yeah, I think that part of his game is very underrated um, uh, from people outside of, the, you know, intense basketball fans. Uh, now he's had some injury problems, but again, you're bringing a guy over to the best uh, training staff in the league. Um, and hopefully that helps his career and maybe makes him want to come back on a more manageable contract uh, after this expiring of uh, like 22 million that he's going to make this year runs out. And then Landry Shamit proved to be one of the best young shooters in the league, which is something the Pelicans definitely need. They need spacing. Um, but you get the hard work, hustle, and defensive mentality from Gallinari, Harrell, and SGA that you want on this team, and you add that to Zion and Drew, and I just think that that culture is there already with, with your starting lineup all in place. You know, you have a solid starting five. You got a small forward. You got a point guard. You got your shooting guard, power forward, and center, and all of them are defensive-minded, defensive-focused, and, and hustle-based. And, you know, we'll see screen set like we never have seen before because, you know, that's always been a problem for us. Um, so I'm very excited about this trade. It's my, it's my favorite one. I think we can all agree about Gallinari um, because I think, yeah, he, he gives you the versatility not only play the three and the – he can play the three and the four for you. We know he can shoot it from the outside. We know he can rebound. He can play he, – he's a very solid defender. And towards the second half of the season, I think – Folks, before the uh, Tobias Harris deal, folks were really saying that Gallinari had passed Harris as far as who was playing the best on the team um, this season. How, uh, Ali, Dave, chip in where you want uh, before I ask Kevin something else, but about Gallinari, um, what do you think about his fit with this roster, with Zion um, and, and in the Pelican style of play? I want to jump in on that one, Ali. So, okay. Gallinari, a couple pieces on this one. Um, Gallinari, one thing you didn't mention, that man lives at the foul line. Yeah. He gets to the foul line all the time. And like Kevin had, had said, you can you can start him at the three. He slides down to the four when the game gets, you know, smaller easily. He's I mean, he's a big guy. He's a legitimate six foot ten. He contributes on the defensive glass sufficiently enough, especially if you think that Zion's gonna be a a plus rebounder, which I believe he's going to be. And then the thing that the thing that I like about the Gallinari edition, and I think like SGA and Gallinari are almost must in the trade. SGA because you need a gem and Gallinari because you need some way to match the salary. Because you're not going to make a very lopsided trade with the Clippers because they want to use that cap space. So you need to have a trade that works, you know that the salaries need to match sufficiently enough. (laughs) Gallinari is an expiring contract next year. And my thought with adding Gallinari is he's not necessarily a long-term piece. If it gets up to the deadline, trade deadline, and for whatever reason, the Pelicans aren't knocking out of the park, 
you flip him at the deadline for some more assets. Maybe you can get, you know, you know, some junk contract and a first round pick for him from some contender. So that's that's the big thing about Gallinari that I like is that it's a short term fix in terms of can we win now? But if it doesn't work out right away, if things don't mesh right away, you can flip him at the trade deadline for maybe one more asset. Yeah, I mean, you know the Nets would flip Alan Crabb in a first for him, you know, if they're making a push. Yeah, and I think that's probably the most likely conclusion, especially since, like you talked about, Kevin, about his injury history. I mean, he hasn't played more than 68 games in the last six years. So, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously him being on an expiring contract is to the benefit of the Pelicans because that salary comes off the books at the end of the season. But then, like you said, even if he does, even if he's not a fit early on, you can still move him before the deadline. So you can either get great play out of him or you get him a, a tradable asset. Um, Ali, you have anything? Yeah, I also want to mention with Gallinari, he's a lot more of a complete player that people give him credit for. I think he's a good passer. I think he's a great competitor. I think he'd be, be another good fit. So while I 100% agree that he looks like just more salary filler and that he would likely move on, after just one season in New Orleans, I still like that when you bring him in, he's not going to disrupt. He's going to just fit right in. You know, that's going to be another key for David Griffin and any kind of salary he gets back. And of course, he's and if it's good players who expect to play and you've got to play right, you want them to mesh with what you're building. And I think that he would be an asset in that regard as well. So just want to mention that as well. Yeah, I think you're right. The the guy who I think is is the most interesting fit is Montrez Harrell, and and I know Kevin um, wanted to talk about about that. So Kevin, why don't you address Montrez Harrell and what the concerns and the, the benefits may be of bringing him on board? Yeah, I mean I love Montrez Harrell. I I think he's like Julius Randle gone right. If if Julius Randle did everything that you wanted him to do, he would be Montrez Harrell. Um, you know he sets hard screens. He he's versatile defender. Um, he plays within himself, within the flow of the offense. He doesn't try to be something he's not. He doesn't try to overhandle. He doesn't uh, tr- try to take long-range jumpers, things like that. He does all the dirty work. He's a hustle kind of player, so you love that kind of guy on your team. Um, now, if you could question his fit with Zion because they're both a little bit undersized in a front-court situation, and then also you know, he doesn't give you that stretching ability or Zion doesn't give you the stretching ability to maximize these guys around the rim. Um, that is one thing to, to worry about, maybe. Um, I think the intangibles and the other things he brings are enough to keep him on the roster, and especially if you look at uh, the center position for the Pelicans going forward. I mean, um, basically he would be battling Ja and Check and possibly Christian Wood for that starting center position, which none of those guys except outside of Christian Wood – stretch the floor at all. Christian Wood, he's shown he has an outside shot, but I don't think it's enough to really draw a defender away at this point in his career. So, I mean, obviously, Harrell is a better player than all of those guys, so you're upgrading at that spot. But the other thing is, is he's on a $6 million contract that almost any team could take on. So if if you didn't like that fit or you didn't want to, like, sort of, uh, you know, build around that or wait for that to really work into a better fit. Again, it's a very attractive player on a very attractive contract that you can then flip for more assets. Um, so 
sure there's not going to, it's not going to be a perfect fit with Zion early, but in terms of the intangibles and the mentality and the dirty work, things that he does, he will definitely be a benefit to this team. Um, if they keep him, uh, but if they do move him, it's also something that could bring back even more assets as well. Ali, how do you, how do you think uh, Harold would fit in with this with a new Pelicans lineup? Is he a starter? Is he a sixth man? Uh, you know, where do you, where do you see him? Yeah, as we saw the way Doc Rivers used him with the Clippers, I think that's his perfect role. I mean, anytime you've got somebody with that much energy, normally it's better suited off the bench. But then when you look at what he can do on the court, you know, it's it, it, he has his limitations. He's not a good passer. He obviously has no range, and uh, he's not a you know good free throw shooter. And he does lack a little bit of size against if he was to battle you know with the bigger centers in the league on a consistent basis. So you want to keep him a player like that in the role that's obviously tailor made for him, and that is a six man, and he can finish games because as we know, people do go smaller when you're trying to finish game because that's when you play your five best players, and uh, you need your five you know hardest workers, whatever it is, the best combination of players. But usually a guy like Harold fits on something like that. So he would be a great six man. And I, I don't have concerns about him not being able to shoot the ball. In fact, if we were to land him, I would want him to resign and keep him here. Um, those, these guys are rare. And like I said, if you're trying to build this culture and we, I, I was impressed all year. I was expecting, and I remember David, I was talking to you about it, David Grubb, Earlier in the year, we always kind of expected the Clippers to fall off. You know, we saw them early in the season. Um, the Pelicans weren't, you know, Pelicans got to 4-0 start. But one thing you and I noted was that the Pelicans didn't play all that well in that game. And uh, the Clippers still lost them. So, I don't know. We weren't high on them early. and But then they stuck around. Why was it? Because it was that mentality. And I think, I really think Griffin's on to something. I think with that Drew crew, I think Montrez Hill is a perfect fit. And like I said, there's not too many of these players across the league. So the Pat Bevs, the Heralds, you want to accumulate as much of these guys you, as you can and put them next to your stars. Dave, one of the things, that, and I think this is kind of a side route, but this, is, this whole discussion is making me think of this. In the trade packages that we've looked at, the vast majority of them, we have not been able to find, we, you know, we've looked at the point guard position as something that we had to solve. But the center position has been a lot harder to solve here. We've not really found that center candidate. And then when we talked about the draft, we've not talked about centers in that um, group. And we know that what we have on the roster, Christian Wood and um, Jaleel Okafor, are your traditional centers. Um, you know, like you, know, you could put Chuck Diallo in as a small ball center, but he's really a power forward. How, you know, you bring in Harold for some size and rebounding, but you still don't really have a big man who's an intimidator um, in some way at the rim. How do the Pelicans address that? Not with the Clippers trade. Right. <laughs> that That's my best answer. Um, I, when I'm looking at what the Clippers might be pushing out, my, my biggest concern when we start to include Gallinari and SGA and maybe Shamit, we haven't got to him yet, and Harrell, they're going to want a roster left. And so I think Harrell is probably the most likely thing that you take off the table. Like you ask for him in the beginning, but when they come back and they take him off the table, you're like, well, that's okay. That's fine. 
because we can get all the rest of the stuff we need in terms of wing players and in terms of a whole lot of draft picks. Um, we'll probably address it after the draft in a podcast, but I think what we've learned from what Milwaukee is doing and what how the, the league is trending, there's so many big men who are working on becoming a shooter because that's the only way they're going to survive. You can get a shooter. Either you can trade for him sometime later, or you can sign him in the you can you can sign him in free agency. Or I mean, Jokic was like a forty something pick. So I mean, the Pelicans have some thirty seventh pick. Maybe there's some big man out there that you know isn't jumping out of any of our minds. But Langdon's like, I got this guy from the international scouting that a whole lot of people aren't think, talking about and thinking about but he's going to have the stuff that we need to fit beside Zion. And the other thing, and I reiterated this on our last pod, the Pelicans roster doesn't have to be complete or finished this season. It just needs to be serviceable and fun and built in a way that makes it so Zion can do what Zion needs to do. And maybe that means, I don't know, maybe you throw some big number at Nikola Miritich and you call – Zion of a five, but he has the ball in his hands a lot. Or you see what Brook Lopez's going rate's going to be this summer, something like that. So I'm not terribly concerned. The Pelicans can't answer all the questions with a Clippers trade. They can answer more clip answers with a Clippers trade than they can really with any other partner that I see. Okay, so let's get to the the aforementioned uh, Landry Shamit. Um, obviously, like you said, one of the top young shooters from this year's class. Uh, if Harrell is out, if we say Harrell is the first piece that the Clippers would pull back, how hard do we think that they would pull back on Shamit? Um, Ali, I'll let you start off with that one. I think they're going to want to keep him. I mean, never mind the fact that he just came over or the fact that I think he was a warrior, right? Guys, if I'm not mistaken, named the second rookie team, right? Yeah, along with SGA. So I think they're going to want to keep one or two of those guys. And obviously, SGA has to go because he's the main prize. So I think they're going to, like, crazy keep Shaman. I honestly don't, even though I like him, and I think he's got a really pretty good future, I'm not too upset that we don't get him. And that's why I included Harold instead of Shamit. Because my deal didn't involve Shamit. The Clippers are going to need to keep some of these players, guys. Um, you know the way they're probably thinking. They built this wonderful thing. They've got that vibe. They can't let everybody walk out the door. So I think that I know that Harold's coming over, but I could see them re-sign Pat Bev because you're going to need him once SGA walks out. And let's say, you know, some combination of Kawhi Leonard Jimmy Butler, uh, Kevin Durant, and Anthony Davis end up over there. Harrow really becomes a little bit more expendable than, say, one of these two young guards. So I think Shamet is going to be a fine player. I mean, he's, he's a tall guy. He, he can drill that three, boy. And he's, he's another versatile defender. So I don't think there's going to be much of any way that the Pelicans can get him unless, you know, the uh, bidding for Anthony Davis really goes higher than what we even expect. One of the things that, that is kind of interesting to me when we talk about the Clippers and we, we talk about their willingness or unwillingness to part with assets, I think about Jerry West and the way he assembled the Lakers team that went from the Lake Show 
to the Kobe Shaq dynasty, where over those years they they accumulated assets. Nick Van Exel, Eddie Jones, um, Eldon Campbell, um, you know uh, Cedric Sabalos. These little minor deals built their team up, and then were able to ship off, you know, a big chunk of guys for Shaq, and I mean, uh, you know, to clear space for Shaq um, and bring him on board, and then they were able to clear space again later on. Get rid of Van Exel, get rid of Jones to make Kobe go on. So maybe those assets are not particularly as tied to the Clippers as as they may could be if they're thinking we can secure Kawhi Leonard, we can secure um, a Kevin Durant, and then we make this trade and we're a winning team. They may not want to hold on to all those pieces. That may be precisely why they picked up those pieces was to move them on. What do you think of that, um, Kevin? Do you think that that's realistic? I, I think that's realistic. I mean, again, you know, you talk about they're, they're going to bring over these stars. That's the plan. And if they get those stars, then they're going to get a lot of those ring chasing, you know, vets. And, uh, you know, they can fill out a roster with whatever. I understand that they definitely would probably like to keep Landry Shamit, But I don't think – I think if – they have Kawhi and fold or Kevin Durant and fold and there there's not going to be a hang up over Landry Shamit. That's not going to be the, the thing that derails a deal for Anthony Davis. You know, I think as long as, as Griffin and Langdon hold firm on that, they want that. I think they'll get that. I mean, cause again, you're not getting a lot of draft capital here. You're only getting two, two first round picks or most other deals you're getting. Uh, three, you know, or or multiple young players and and three. So in this one, you're taking on salary that helps them uh, do what they want to do. So at the same time, like Shamit is basically considered, uh, you know, another first round pick thrown in there for me. So I, I think it's not necessarily gonna gonna be a like a a sticking point for the deal, really. Yeah, I, I I would be surprised if you're the Clippers and you have the opportunity to close for Anthony Davis. I don't think one of those guys, whether it be Harold or Shamit, would be the sticking point. Because like you said, taking off, they need you to take the 21.6 of Gallinari. They can't sign right. the, the people they want without that. So you're already doing them one favor. So they've got to give you a solid because you're about to give them Anthony Davis. I mean, you, you're going to tell me like Harold, like, you know, I like you're going to tell me that Ed Davis wouldn't sign over there to play with those kind of guys. Like they could get those kind of guys if they get um, everybody in fold. So I don't think that it's that big of a deal. Like they could get, um, you know, uh, what's his name? Damari Carroll or these kind of guys playing for less money because they had big contracts already and aren't going to get another contract that size. But now they have a chance to play with these great players and make a run. Um, So I don't think they necessarily need to hang on. To some of the younger guys now, I know they would like to, but it, I, I don't think it's going to hold up a deal. Is my point? I don't think the the desire to keep them will stop them from making the move. Dave, how much does the Clippers desire to beat out the Lakers in this deal come into play for them to to, to execute this? To tr- if they have the chance to close, and you know, or how how much pressure will it be on them to go ahead and, and do that? I don't I don't think that is something that really is that might be more in Balmer's mind, but I think 
the one thing that Ballmer has done as an owner is he's kind of distanced himself from how do we run the basketball side of things. He's not a meddling owner in that kind of respect. And I don't think Jerry West is going to be, you know, throwing the whole kitchen sink at it because he's going to be thinking, well, if I don't trade for AD, there might, there another star is going to be available eventually. Why not save it? See if one of these young guys develops into something more and then you realize, Hey, we were smart to hold on to it. So I don't think the Clippers are going to be motivated to move and to put all of their chips on the table like you might get with the Lakers and what and what I expect to get also from the Knicks. But the the Clippers can put in significant draft capital. It's just not as sexy. But they can give you, you know, Philadelphia's first round pick in mm-hmm. 2020, Miami's first round pick in 2021 their own first-round pick in 2020, 2021, or 2023, or, you know, you can you can spread it out so you get two picks like we were talking about with the Knicks. You can get, you know, Philadelphia 2020, Miami 2021, and the Clippers 2022. Hey, you have two first-round picks all, all the way through, and you know you're going to have Gallinari in the deal, and you know you're asking for SGA. That's kind of the foundation. And then... You know, if Griffin can get Harrell or Shamit, that's all. That's all laying up at that point. So I guess then from that, my question would be, on the desperation scale, then out of the teams that we've discussed um, to make a move, and we say our four tops are the Lakers, the Knicks, the Clippers, and the Celtics. So I guess we would put the Clippers then at fourth on the desperation scale to make a move. I would maybe say that they're third. I think Boston is a little bit less because of the Kyrie situation. You know, that could make them think a lot of different ways about things. Yeah, because you're not going to want to sell off maybe all your young guys, especially if you get the sense that AD is not going to resign. So, yeah, I I think I can kind of agree with Kevin here. So we put the – so if we're saying it then – the Knicks are, are the most desperate. Yes. Because they, they have the well, least talent you can't, you, It's hard to say that they're more than the Lakers. I think they're like neck and neck, right? But I think the Lakers still have the audacity because they have – at least the Lakers have LeBron James. And they, can, they feel like, okay, we can get a free agent if we don't get Anthony Davis. But if you're the Knicks, there's no guarantee that you're getting Durant. There's no guarantee you're getting Irving. There's no guarantee you're getting so to them to to me it seems the Knicks have to make a move because they have the least amount of talent on board currently, and they have to do something this summer for that fan base. They have basically been promising a big move for years. Everybody else has at least accomplished something along that scale over the last few years. The Knicks have not, so I, I think to me they would be the most desperate. I might be wrong. I, I I agree with you, Grub, and especially because, and I've I've said this multiple times, if the Pelicans are making this trade, they need to be making it on draft night. The agreement needs to be made on draft night, mm-hmm. and the Knicks aren't going to have anybody signed on on the dotted line at that point. And you never know. Um, Toronto might make it to the finals, so Kawhi stays, and that opens up the space for the Clippers. 
and Durant decides to come down to the Clippers, and then either Kyrie Irving decides that he's going to stay in Boston or all the rumors about him possibly favoring the Brooklyn Nets come in, and the Knicks are looking up like, are we about to have another Amari Stoudemire situation where we're going to throw the max, like all of the max at Tobias Harris and try to tell you that he's the alpha. That's terrifying to them because that's not, yes. that, that's not, that's at, at best, you know, it's, you know, earlier this decade Knicks with D'Antonio, I mean, D'Antoni, when they had a little bit of success and then it all crashes around them. So, and, and this is this goes not just for the Knicks, but for the Lakers to a lesser yes. extent for the Clippers. I mean, to a lesser extent for the Clippers and the Celtics, where if we if we get the big trade, that makes it more likely that we also get the sign. Yes. One thing we gotta I'm... mention though, I think, with mm-hmm. the Clippers and maybe on where they like rank in terms of wanting to chase how hard, how hard they chase it. I think we have to mention the fact that AD had him on, on one of his lists. Right. And I think they he get did. the sense that he would be open to resign with him. So the fact that they've almost got that, you know, kind of, you know, guarantee, I don't want to say use the word guarantee, but you know what I mean? The likelihood that he would resign with them. I think that really, you know, is going to want the, is going to push the Clippers to push, you know, a lot more chips into, you know, the bet in his, in his big game of poker. And I don't put anything past Jerry West. I mean, I know he's not, I mean, officially Lawrence Frank runs the show, but, you know, Jerry West has done this from the sidelines um, with Memphis. He did it with the Warriors and he's doing it again in conjunction with the Clippers. So I wouldn't put anything past him to get a deal done. And then to once to have Anthony Davis is there, it's hard to say no to Jerry West. I mean, I just, I haven't seen it happen too often since he's been an executive in my, you know, over the course of my lifetime, I just think that he's, you know, the, possibly the greatest executive who ever played, uh, you know, ever coached, uh, who's ever worked in the NBA. But I mean, I just think that, yeah, that, that, that situation becomes very attractive for Anthony Davis if he gets there. Right. So the Clippers have to make sure they can bring him in. Right. right. You learn from the Paul George <laughs> failure by the Lakers or, you know, trade for them when they could. I mean, they've got to have that kind of approach with one of the best players in the league, right? And here's the thing, like we talked about too, and, and, and please chime in on this. When we go back to the ownership and we talk about now how important it is, and this has been a discussion about the Lakers all week about how they operate like a family business and how that money that they have, because their only money is from the Lakers, even though they make a lot, it's different than Steve Ballmer, who's a billionaire himself and was able to drop down $2.2 billion to buy the Clippers. So you know in ownership, you have somebody who, A, is hyper-competitive. Ballmer wants to win. He wants that to be a Clippers town, though that's never going to happen. But And B, he's going to spend whatever it takes to make that happen. So for if you are a star player, that is very appealing to you, too. And Dave, real quick, I you just re- sorry, I just want to say this real quick because Dave just reminded me of it. I remember reading somewhere just recently that Balmer still wants to keep spending that money because he wants to continue cutting the Lakers stranglehold. So Balmer and the Clippers, right, makes all the more sense that you grab AD, that you're the one featuring AD, and you're making sure that AD doesn't end up on the Lakers. So, again, I think that's another chip for them as to where they may be willing to go a lot harder after Anthony Davis than we initially gave him credit for. Sorry, Fish, go ahead. Oh, well, one thing that 
possibly increases the amount that the Clippers would offer is when you have a team that's run by Jerry West, he's not worried about winning the press conference like the <laughs> Lakers or the Knicks are. He's, he, he would be comfortable, for instance, what he did in Memphis when he did the Gasol for Gasol trade. He's willing to lose the press conference and tell everybody, no, actually, I was smarter than all of you, and you should have listened. But you, you know, crap all the Lakers over. Are in press okay. The Lakers are only worried about winning the press conference. No, they well, they're they're win the one this week. <laughs> 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 they're doing about as good of a job as getting Anthony Davis over there if they're worried about winning the press conferences. Man. <laughs> poor Frank Vogel. Oh. Yeah, poor guy. <laughs> uh, you guys saw that, right? Where not, not only was it bad, but the question from that reporter that you failed. What happened? What was it? How did he work? Yeah, this was first he mentioned, you know, he said first you struck out on Lou. Yeah. And you struck out on <laughs> How did you end up on, you settle on Frank? <laughs> he says it in front of him, you settle on Frank Vogel. And he's Ooh. talking about the guy and he's sitting there. Oh, that was beautiful. That was a car wreck. Before we get back into Clippers, we have to discuss one more other car wreck then. Because the whole thing today about Kendrick Perkins and his comments about Dell Demps. And I don't want to beat on Dell Demps and stomp on his grave. But those were some pretty scathing comments by Perk, who did not spend a ton of time in New Orleans, but apparently was um, not feeling the vibe. No. That was rough, man. I don't know. Do you guys have any backstory on any kind of run-ins with him and Dell? Or because that was just sort of out of the blue, especially for a guy that only spent a year here, right? I mean, did he, I mean, I don't even know if he spent the full year because I don't think he started the season with him. Did I guess he did that year? I think he did. But yeah, two thousand. I don't know if he, did. He even play twenty games? Thirty-seven games. I'm looking at it. Okay. All right. Here's my guess. My guess is that Perk. Um, and I had heard rumors that he either talked to Demps or he thought that maybe he could get Kevin Durant to come here just to talk during his free agency, right? And maybe Perkins did try and go out of his way doing stuff like this. And then remember, he agreed to come on board to mentor supposedly Anthony Davis, even though I don't think AD took to it very well. But again, Perk was brought for a specific reason, uh, a couple reasons, and they weren't on the court. So I'm just right. wondering if if something there then went haywire. Like, okay, I did this for you. Maybe he was supposed to get another year. Maybe he was supposed to be out of the coaching staff, executive office. There could have been a promise like that made and Del- Demps didn't, you know, follow through. Because the reason I'm bringing this up, I know that he um, had promised Jeff with his agent that I think Jeff would probably get a contract and come back to New Orleans. But they never heard from him, I think was the story. So it's not unusual that, you know, Dell just would go in a different direction. He wouldn't either maybe reach out and explain to the person, well, I'm going in this direction for this reason. I just have a feeling that his negotiating um, tactics and maybe his lines of communication are a little bit poorer than what we know of. It's well, weird if you're general. In, in fairness to Dell, Jeff with his agents not really getting calls from anybody, right? No, 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 I know. But I'm just saying, I remember reading that, I can't remember if it was Basketball Insider, somebody like that. They interviewed Jeff Withy, and I remember in that article him saying, well, I thought I was going to end up back on the uh, New Orleans Pelicans, uh, but it didn't happen. I never got a call, even though I was told that I would. It was something to that effect. Well, I remember going back to that. 
the year that Withy became a restricted free agent, the, the Pelicans held on to his restricted rights for an awkwardly long time, like seven or ten days after Ooh, the moratorium. Right, and then they just they just said, nope, we're not going to bring you back after the money had kind of dried up. And then all Withy That's was really right. looking at was like minimum contracts. And when you I mean, he did latch like on with that, Utah, okay. right? Yeah. yeah. And he, yeah. I mean, he, he played reasonably well when he was there, but um, yeah, I mean, when you're talking about the Withy situation, I remember he, they held on to his restricted rights. And then once pretty much the, all the money had dried up for him to get any kind mm-hmm. of, you know, short-term contract, then they, <laughs> then they released him from his, you know, then they pulled back the restricted offer. Good memory, Fish. I vaguely remember that. I just thought it was millennials who were ghosting people, not general managers. <laughs> you know, it's not, that's not a good sign. If you're general managers, like, I'm not, like, you don't call people at all. And that, that also brings back into the whole thing about the Rondo situation, you know, just about how that miscommunication happened there. So, and, and maybe it leads Lynn's credence to what DeMarcus Cousins said that he never got a call later on. I don't know. Right, but Rondo left for just a couple hundred thousand, right? I mean, yeah, there's something right. there too. So yeah. So you know, maybe you know, Dell. Yeah, there, there, there's going to be something that to, to be examined there. And Kendrick may have started the loosening of the jar on whatever did happen under the Dimps administration. Um, as far as the Clippers go, uh, like you said, the players themselves, there's not a lot of movement. From all of us, it's four players basically that we all agree would be involved in one way or another: Danilo Gallinari, SGA, Montrez Harrell, and Landry Shamit. That's it. We the rest of the players are pretty much not really of a concern for us, right? Right. Okay. So the picks then become the thing. Do Do you think if you is it going to be two players, three players, and three picks? Is three picks too much to ask? Is three picks not enough to ask for an Anthony Davis? But because you're figuring for the Clippers, if they're getting Davis and one other free agent, their clips are their picks are, are going to be out of the lottery. I think if I'm not getting Shamit, I'm getting three picks. I either need Shamit or three picks. With Shamit two. So you got SGA Gallinari, Shamit, and two picks. That's that's what your your position is. Yeah, I mean Harold, you could take him in or out. I mean, I think they'd throw him in just because of the salary, uh, having to move some of that salary. But um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if they wanted to take him out, I wouldn't need another pick to compensate for that. Whereas if Shamit comes out, I think I want another pick. Gotcha, Dave. Um, I would. I mean, I would push. I would start at. Gallinari, SGA, and the three picks, because it's not just the Clippers pick that's probably going to be outside the lottery. The Philadelphia pick next year is almost certainly going to be outside the lottery, even right. if they have multiple free agents walk. I mean, they're still going to have mm-hmm. a foundation still a top of four team in, the, in the East. In, in the MB. Um, and then the 2021 Miami pick sounds great because you know it's unprotected, but it's in the East. The Miami, I mean, they they still trot out a good coach. Pat Riley still runs that team. They are cap-strapped right now, but they could, you know, swing some 
deals to create some cap space to make a big splash. You wouldn't put that beyond them. And then again, they're in the East and they're probably in the worst division in the NBA in the Southeast. So most likely you're seeing that pick being maybe somewhere between 12 and 16. And so, yeah, I want that Laker. Uh, I'm not, I want that Clippers pick in 2022 as well. And really, you know, try to push down the protections on that, maybe one through four or less and tell them, yeah, you're getting this trade, but you're betting big on yourself that you're going to be, you know, you can re-sign these guys and you continue to win and the wheels don't come off when you get somebody as moody as Anthony Davis in your locker room. So really with the, the, the upside, the biggest upside to the Clippers deal, Ali, then is the fact that you are, if you bring in SGA and Shamit, you're essentially getting three first rounders in one year already. Right. Because with Zion, you know, SGA is going to be 20 and um, Shamit just coming off the rookie year. So, I mean, you're, you're essentially getting guys who are primed to play immediately um, for you. So, and Gilgis Alexander, I think, is a potential all-star. Could be. Yeah. He has the physical tools to be that. So, it, they say that, and, and like they said, that's been an important thing, is to have a potential all-star there. Um, you solve your wing issue uh, with Gallinari. The picks then... Do you think that you can get the three picks out of the – I mean, to me, I, the more we talk about it, it seems like you have to get more picks from the Clippers because the value of their picks is is indeterminate. Yeah, if you're not getting Shaman, I think I agree with Kevin. I should have added three. And here's one thing I do want to toss out there as a kind of a counterargument to Fishes about, you know, the likelihood of landing in the lottery isn't great with most of them. I think the way Langdon and Griffin have been talking lately and what their resumes speak to, uh, especially Langdon's with the Nets, is they seem confident that they can nail somebody really, really good regardless of where they fall in the draft. I think they don't look at it like we do, like we just did, I should say, in our analysis. So I just want to put that out there too. Oh, no, I'm, I'm not saying that the Pelicans front office doesn't think they can nail those picks. I think no, no, I know, there might no, be no. a I was just love, talking love. like, right, I didn't, I didn't mean to come off like that at all. No, I was just talking about how the chance of a lottery pick aren't there with the Clippers hall of picks that they can offer us. That's all. But I'm saying from we need to also include just the vantage point of maybe the way New Orleans would look at it and say, like, hey, they're still first-rounders. Hey, we can still turn this into, you know, really good players. No, right, I they ultimately agree on that. Yeah, and, and then they, they are always potential trade chips as well to move up in drafts, to move, you know, to get established exactly. players, whatever it is to fill out the roster, you can do those. Um, so, yeah, it, but you still, I think, I think, I think you want to get three though from the Clippers. I think you, you want to get three over three consecutive years. I think that's the goal. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure if there's anything else to deal to delve into. because, Like I said, they're one of our favorite deals. But they're also the, probably the most straightforward. It doesn't get much easier than than throwing this one together. Am I? Am, am I? Did we miss anything? No, I don't think so. I mean, the only thing I was gonna say too is, uh, you know, look at the history of the nineteenth overall pick. If they could fall at the nineteenth overall pick, the last few years have been great at, at nineteen. You got like uh, John Collins, Kevin Herter. 
I'm trying to think. There's another player that's really good. That I'm, I'm trying to find the last few 19th overall picks, but they're uh, that pick seems like the last few years have just been the spot to pick at late in the draft. I mean, yeah. If you're if if you have good talent evaluators, we know. I mean, we've seen a lot of these teams. The teams that are in the conference finals right now were not built with lottery picks by and large. They were built mid round, mid first round, and early second round picks. You know, I mean, outside of Golden State, which most of their guys obviously were were lottery picks, um, of course. But the rest of those those teams were built with guys who were middle first round and second round picks. So yeah, there's value. Yeah. As it was long Malik Beasley. Malik Beasley, yeah. yeah. Uh, 2016, Malik Beasley. 2017 was John Collins, and then last year was Kevin Herter. Yeah, if you've got yeah. people, and and we have confidence that Trajan Langdon and, and David Griffin can identify talent, they seem confident in, in everything that they projected about there being a deepness to this draft. So yeah. I mean, you, you you feel good what the positions are, but you like as David has said, you want to maximize those positions and make sure you have as many swings of the bat as possible. So I think we've covered the clip for this evening. Um, our next one, and I think we're going to be doing that one tomorrow as well, will be the final one of the individual teams when we hit the Boston Celtics, the most obvious and most consistent and persistent pursuers of anthony davis and then we may do another follow-up after that on some wild card ideas um from other teams that did not make the original cut so um guys any final comments before we check out no man i I just think we're hitting a home run with this series because the feedback i i I gotta bring it up even though david you already did the start of the show but it's been outstanding people love this stuff and I think we have come up with a lot of good scenarios. So I'm so happy with whoever came up with this idea. I don't even remember who it was, but it's fish. Yeah. Okay. That, yeah, that's okay. So fish. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I think good idea. Yeah. I think the great thing about this has been is like it, it, it absolutely shows that um, people want information. They want to talk about the Pelicans. They want to um, get involved in the process. And this is an exciting time. And, um, we've benefited from it in this way, but more importantly, I, I, I'm glad that the audience feels like they've benefited from this. You know, I don't want to speak for all of us, but I will say that, you know, every one of us loves the game of basketball. We love talking about the game of basketball. And I think it's intensely gratifying for us that there are so many other people who love the game of basketball and love the Pelicans that join us on these whether just by listening or by sending in their comments or their tweets or whatever. So yeah, again, thank everybody so much for listening and make sure you go comment and share um, each one of these because they have been getting great feedback. And I think I attribute that to each one of these three guys. They are all very knowledgeable and extremely um, talented and push me um, to do a better job myself. So on behalf of Kevin Barrios, David Fisher and Ali Cosell, I am David Grubb, and we will talk to you the next time covering the Boston Celtics. And until then, let's go Pels. Thank you for listening to the Bird Calls on the Off the Glass, Nothing But Net, and Up and Under podcast networks. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today. 
And now, a thought from Geico Motorcycle. It took 15 minutes to take a spirit animal quiz online. Please be the cheetah. Please be the cheetah. And learn your animal isn't the cheetah, but the far less appealing blobfish. Oh, come on. To add insult to injury, you could have used those 15 blobfish minutes to switch your motorcycle insurance to Geico. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on motorcycle insurance. Geico presents Yikes, another voicemail from your roommate. Sup, roomie? Hey, a pipe burst in the basement. It's completely flooded. Anyway, I called for someone to fix it, but in the meantime, I was thinking we could finally have that indoor pool party we've always wanted. I got some cool swan floaty things already going. Could you pick up some chips on your way home? Later. The Geico Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected. Like if your roommate isn't the brightest pool float in the flooded basement. Visit geico.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance.